0: Well, I'm going to change the sermon on you today. Instead of, well, I don't think I had a passage listed up there. I thought I just put various scriptures. What I want you to do is to turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to focus in on the first two chapters a little bit in each one of those today. There are two basic reasons why I changed the message for today from what is printed in your bulletin main reason, to be honest with you, is because I was too sick to fully prepare. I had gotten a start on it early in the week, and so I felt free to send the information off to Megan and then to Melissa, as they did PowerPoint and did the bulletin, but as the week wore on, I realized I wasn't getting better as quickly as I thought I should, and I just didn't have the gumption to get back down here and to... Spend the time that I felt needed to be spent on preparing the sermon on, on hindrances to prayer. So, prayerfully, you will hear that sermon next week. <laughs> That's the plan, at least, but less laid plans. So, what I did is I decided to give you a rerun. Now, I've been watching some reruns. When you're sick, you do a couple of things, you sleep and you numb your mind by watching some TV. So I've been watching some old NCIS. And I found some that I had not seen, and so they were fresh and new. But there were a lot of them that I was able to just drift right back to sleep. It didn't faze me at all. If you fall asleep on this sermon, it better be because you remember it from 2007. (laughs) <laughs> <clears throat> okay yeah, church will remember that one I'm sure oh gosh let's have a word of prayer I will read a bit of scripture in a few moments Father we thank you thank you for your love for us, for the strength that you give to us and I particularly right now want to pray for your strength just give me that little extra boost of your strength that I need to have right now so that I can preach a message that will be beneficial to each person here today. You take the message that was preached so many years ago and edit it as you feel led to do, make it applicable for today and our, our situation in our world this day. Most of all, Lord, may your spirit break through And speak to individuals' hearts where they're at and the things that they are facing today. As we put this time into your hands, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. While talking to a potential recruit, the military recruiter said, exactly what kind of job are you looking for in the military? Well, this high school kid says, well, I'm looking for something with an enlistment enlistment bonus of about $20,000. One where I won't have to work too hard and won't get deployed overseas. The recruiter says, well, if I could hook you up with a skill that allowed you to come straight to an E7, I have mm-hmm. no idea what that means, but you that were in the military, you know, where you'll only work weekdays and you can have your base of choice and stay there as long as you want. Would you want it? The recruiter sat up, the recruit sat up straight and said, wow. Are you kidding? And the recruiter replied, Yeah, but you started it. (laughs) If there's anything I've learned over the years, when you're in in the military service, you are going to move. I wish I could say that I've had one pastorate for 40 some odd years. I don't even remember how many now. But that hadn't been the case with me either. Periodically, God has moved me around. And I'm equating my service as a pastor to that of a soldier, like Paul many times did in Scripture. He related himself to the soldiers and, and tried to explain his life and what he was going through in that way. Military life isn't easy. You don't get exactly what you want when you enlist. That's the reality. But a good soldier makes a difference, doesn't he? Someone has written, it is the soldier. It is the soldier, not the preacher, who gives us freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who gives us freedom of press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who gives us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the protester, who gives us freedom to assemble. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the soldier, not the politician, who gives us the right to vote. It is the soldier who not only salutes the flag, but serves under the flag, fighting for the country that the flag represents. And Veterans Day is a time that our nation has set aside to honor the differences that a soldier makes. And when I use the term soldier, I mean airman, I mean, you know, uh, whatever, whatever branch of service. Ever since this nation was founded, soldiers have made a difference, and that should never be forgotten. Think of George Washington's men as they were crossing the the Delaware. Think of old Hickory, uh, General Andrew Jackson leading Calvary's charge, Generals Lee and Grant, as their men were fighting for all they were worth in the war between the states. Of course, we want to eradicate any memory of anybody in the South. They're Americans. They're Americans. They have been. They succeeded from the states, but they were brought back in, and they are Americans today, and we need to remember that. What about Dwight Eisenhower's men? What about... uh, as they were storming the beaches at Normandy in World War II, all the way down to today. We think of those that were in Vietnam. That was during the time that I was finishing up high school and then going into college. and I remember the turbulence of those days, all that was going on, the protest of the war, the racial strife that was carried, being carried on at that time. And it was a rough time to To live, things were going on that made no sense. Very much like today. Things are going on that make no sense. Our nation is divided today. But through all of these times, we have had people that have faithfully given of their lives to protect the freedoms not just that we have here in the United States, but freedom around the world. And they have traveled wherever they've had to go, and they have served willingly. Many have given their lives in that service. And we should always, always be thankful and grateful for the service that they have done, because we would be living in a far different world had they not been willing to do that. So I commend all of you that have served in that way. I was declared ineligible when my number was called up. I went in for my draft physical, and for the first time in my life, I was thankful that I was a skinny kid, because I was six foot two, 130 pounds, and that was 9 pounds underweight. The doctor said, I can get you in if you want to get in, and we'll fatten you up. But you don't have to go because you've got some asthma in your background also. And I said, no, I want to stay in school. <laughs> no dummy here. And so I did. I was declared one Y. Anybody know what one Y is? One Y meant that it had to be a declared war before I could be called up. So had it been a declared war, not a quote unquote police action, I could have been called in. Today we honor our, our, our veterans and we've got a debt of gratitude to all of our veterans. Do you know, the last several years, I wish I could just say it was a few years, but the last, I, I don't remember a time where America has been involved in wars that's any longer than what we have experienced. There was a change, I believe, that took place around 2001. (laughs) Remember what happened on September 11th? Mm -hmm. It kind of pulled everybody together for a short period of time. It didn't last. We had people coming into our churches that hadn't been in church in years. They didn't stay very long. A few did. But it shook our nation up. Because for for her for the first time, we had attacks on our on our own soil. There are people around the world that have grown up not knowing anything different than having attacks on their soil, and seeing family members give their lives. The wear and tear of war, the war of terror, if you say if you could say it that way, has left us in this. Veterans Day weekend 2019 as a country that is in need of encouragement. And I'm thankful that the Bible has some encouraging words for us. As I said a few moments ago, the Apostle Paul thought of himself and identified himself as a soldier for the Lord. He was in the Lord's army. He was serving his Lord. You might say that he was a, a, uh, he was in prison for preaching, well he was in prison for preaching the gospel And I think you can make a case that he was a prisoner of war when he wrote the book of Philippians. But I don't think you'll find a a more positive book in all the Bible than the book of Philippians. He was encouraging, even though he was in prison. Even though he knew it was probably a short period of time until he was going to be killed. He was writing encouraging letters. So in the first chapter of Philippians, beginning in the latter part of verse 18, it says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Wow. I think God would want us to remember that He is always at work. God is always at work. Paul had a different life situation than we have today instead of wars that are going on all over the place, over in the Middle East in particular, in Afghanistan, he had a war of personal proportions. He experienced small prison cells. He had known chains, locked doors, forced travel, insufficient food, poor health. He had been stoned, whipped, caned. Uh, I looked at Ben and I started to say canned thank goodness I know how to read he had been tamed he had been beaten he had been the target of multiple execution attempts we haven't experienced that personally I don't know if anybody here that experienced that kind of thing and if as if physical punishment wasn't enough and imprisonment was not difficult enough there were some of his fellow preachers that were out saying hurtful things about him, questioning his motives. And Paul refers to all of those difficulties in a different way, however. He, he gives us a wonderful perspective, a, a different kind of perspective. Look at verses 12 to 14 in the same first chapter. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak. As for the hurtful messages, take a look at verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I think one of the most important attitudes that we'll ever possess is an optimistic belief that God is in control. No matter what the situation, he is at work in the midst of difficult situations. He is involved in our lives. Paul was able to see his imprisonment as a way to share his faith with people that he never would have been able to have shared his faith with otherwise. He shared it with Roman guards. He shared it with fellow prisoners. He shared it with whomever was willing to listen. And in a short while, the message of Jesus was moving throughout thousands of soldiers that were employed as palace guards. In the midst of a difficult war, or wars, we might say today, it is important for us to remember that the good that is done, that's, a result of these wars. I remember it was just a few years ago that Saddam Hussein was viewed as the worst thing in the world in the Middle East. And other terrorists that have that are no longer alive. American borders are more secure in many ways than they ever have been before. And yet, we are in a time of turmoil within our nation. A time of confusion. A time of where there is a lack of forgiveness. There are hurtful things being said on all sides. We, who are believers, we need to Let Christ be known. We need to stand up for what we believe. But we need to do it in love. We may be imprisoned, as Paul was imprisoned. We may be... We'll have all sorts of enemies. But we need to respond in love. Freedom around the world, I wonder how many papers, newspapers, are in some of these countries where we are trying to bring freedom. I look at America, and uh, frankly, I'm not looking forward to 2020. I'm not looking forward to all the political, I want to say discussions, but I don't know that that's what I can call them. I'm not looking forward to the hatred that's going to be out there. We need to pray for our nation. Who is ultimately called upon when our nation is at unrest? It's the National Guard. They are put into action. They are brought in when local police forces cannot bring peace. And I'm afraid we're heading into a time like that, like we had in the late 60s. We need to pray for our nation. In the midst of very difficult circumstances, we must have faith to believe that God is in control and that he will ultimately advance his purposes through all of this. There may be a weeding out of those that are genuine believers and those that are pretend believers. But I believe that God allows difficult things to happen in nations to bring them to an awareness of their dependence upon him. And if that nation is willing to repent, then he is willing to restore them. We see it in history as we look at how he dealt with the nation of Israel time after time. As they would, he would, they would be doing great and then they would sin. They would turn away from him. Judgment would come. And then repentance would come. And then restoration would come from God. We are heading into a time, and I, I, I believe it's going to get worse before it gets better. I don't, I'm not a doomsday type person. I'm usually a very optimistic person, but, but I'm seeing things that, frankly, I don't think I've ever seen before. And I remind you, I saw the strife that went on. I, I, I saw all of that. I saw a young man come in to try to put a sign, a sign on a bulletin board in the engineering school, at ASU, where I was a student. And I saw him run for his life. We had many servicemen that were taking engineering classes. And they weren't about to put up with any of that. I saw on other parts of the campus flags being burned, riots, demonstrations things that I tried to stay away from as, mo- as much as I possibly could, but we were still touched by it. And I'm afraid we're, we're in a time that has the potential of even being, being worse than that. We need to pray for our country. Second thing I want to bring your attention, not only must we have that faith that God is in control, our faith should lead us to courageous living. Do you believe that? <laughs> Paul knew that this imprisonment might be his last one. He knew that he might not ever get out of prison short of death. So he spoke openly of that possibility where he said, poured out like a drink offering. That's what he said in verse 17 in chapter 2, two seventeen, And he debated the value of living. He questioned it. He wrestled with it. Living or dying. Which is better? Which is better? Look at verse 22. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. The important thing that he knew was that would be his attitude in the face of this life-threatening situation that he found himself in. In verse 20, Taking you back a couple of verses, I know I'm reading them out of order. That's on purpose. I urge eager, eager, get my tongue untied. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I like what a gentleman by the name of Harold Kushner had to say as he reflected on his own life. uh, It's in his book, When All You've Ever Wanted Isn't Enough. He says, I have no fear of death because I feel I have lived. There is no way to prevent dying, but the cure for the fear of death is to make sure that you have lived. (laughs) That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Paul had lived. Paul had given his life for Christ. He had lived as best he could, every moment for Christ Jesus. He never felt it was quite enough. He never felt that he had arrived. He always saw his shortcomings, and that kept him humble. See, we need to be thankful for our shortcomings even, because they keep us humble. They help to keep us humble. But he had given everything. After the beatings, after the execution attempts, Paul's body must have... I mean, they must have wondered how much more punishment he could take. He had been scourged and amazing five times. Five times he had been whipped. Can you imagine what his back looked like? One massive, massive bunch of scars. That's just one of the punishments that he endured. Through it all, he had lived for Christ. He had let it be known that the scars that he held were there because of the gospel message. And those scars were a way to promote the message that he loved so dearly that he was willing to give his life for. He lived with passion. He he, he came to his with such passion that he came to fear death less and less and less. In fact, He came to a point where he looked forward to the time that he would die and even longed for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But you leave that in God's control and let him take it. Once that fear was diminished, he was able to live even more boldly for Christ than ever before. How much value would one of our soldiers be in warfare if he was too frightened to fight, if he stood off in a corner while the battle raged, would we have victory? Probably not. He certainly would not have contributed to it. The only soldier that is of any good to his country is the one who is willing to put his life on the line. Willing to risk it all. In the midst of Prisoner abuse candles, eh, not like we had before, but they're still out there. There's still people that throw many things out. I watched part of the ASU game yesterday. I kept flipping back and forth between Alabama and... I know. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I feel for you, Beth, it's okay. but my sister doesn't she lives, well, in, no. she lives in Louisiana. But I saw a statue of uh, Pat Tillman. And it reminded me of the sacrifice that he made. And it's a sacrifice that we can in some ways identify with and in others can't. But he, was, he felt so strongly about it that he turned down, I believe it was a $3.6 million contract from the Cardinals to sign up to go into the military. And then he wound up giving his life within about half a year. We can't identify with giving up that kind of money, but we can identify perhaps with that willingness to serve and to run the risk. Third thing I want to say to you is we need to put an even greater premium on unity. Unity is a desirable trait in any group. It is critical within the church. It is critical... Well, just think of army recruits. What's one of the first things they start learning? How to march in unison. You hear the clicking of their boots as they are marching in unison, turning in unison, doing everything in unison. There's a purpose for that. It, it, it's just a representative of what boot camp training is all about. It is trying to train them to be a unit. We stand amazed and are thrilled when we see troops that are marching our troops, at least, marching together with their color guards, shouting with one voice their readiness for duty. And so, whether you are thinking of, of sailors, Marines, airmen, whether you think of our forces on the sea or in the air or on land, it doesn't matter. The idea of unity multiplies rapidly. No longer is it important for them to march in unison and look sharp on parade grounds. Suddenly, it is a matter of unity in order to stay alive and win the battle. Unity means clear communications, communications from intelligence to commanders, from commanders to every branch of the armed forces, from squadron commanders to fighter pilots to medics to office personnel it doesn't matter to the Marines on the front line. Communication is a key element. And we're not communicating today. We're shouting out insults to one another. We're arguing with one another. It does no good to shout insults and to argue your point all the time, and never listen to the other. That's not communicating. It's a form of war, and it's disunity. And our country is faced with that today. If if we ever hope to win the cultural war and make a difference in our community, We cannot escape that call for unity among believers. Listen to the 27th and 28th verses of chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. But that you will be saved. And that by God. Think about those words. Stand firm in one spirit. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. When we live in such a day of turmoil. I'm not seeing as much as I had seen in years gone by, but Christians need to unite around the things that are absolutes, that sin condemns and Jesus saves. And we need to spread the good news wherever we go. I would encourage all of you today. I hadn't planned on encouraging all, but I think it would be good for all of us to read through the book of Philippians, not once or twice, but several times and reflect on those passages. And I have no doubt that there will be several of those passages will speak directly to you, your circumstances, whatever they might be today there ought to be some passages that would speak to you concerning our country. The spring of 1990, there was a profound tragedy that was uncovered in the Sierra National Forest. See, on March 1st, 1990, Gene and Ken Cheney, while attempting to negotiate a little-used road in those parklands, skidded off into a huge snowbank. With the blizzard swirling around them, the 68-year-old woman and the 75-year-old man decided to sit tight. They waited for help to arrive. The couple began to keep a diary of their actions, writing by the fading glimmer of their glove compartment light. The Cheneys slowly began to see the fatal truth of their situation— coming out of their ridings. So as we began to realize that we were on a road that isn't maintained during the winter, truly a miracle if anyone comes by, we have no idea what lies ahead. So here we are, completely and utterly in God's hands. What better place to be? During the next week, the Cheneys ate roll aids, a stick of gum, to those restaurant packets of jelly that they had taken with them. They scraped frost off their car windows for drinking water. They endured those days by singing hymns together, quoting all the Bible verses that they could recall, and praying. Still no one came. On March 18th, 18 days after the ordeal started, Jean Cheney made the following entry in their diary. Dad went to the Lord at 7.30 this evening. It was so peaceful, I didn't even know he left. The last thing I heard him say was, Thank you, Lord. And then she finished it out by saying, I think I'll be with him soon. I can't see. Bye. I love you. Their bodies weren't found until May 1st. May 1st. when the spring thaw had progressed enough so the force manager can make it down the road that had trapped them for so long. But you know, in the midst of that human tragedy, they didn't die alone or in despair or in fear. They were huddled together in their car, celebrating their faith and their love for God with every fiber of their strength. They weren't complacent about death. They were meeting it head on. They weren't in denial. They were confident, however. They were hopeful because of God's presence with them. They were secure in the knowledge. They were surrounded by his love. And we have to ask ourselves today, are we secure in that same knowledge? Are we secure in that knowledge today? You've heard it before, I'll say it again. I watched my wife through the 11 and a half years after her diagnosis with a with liver disease that was gonna take her life if she didn't get a transplant. Remain as optimistic as she possibly could. She had her down days. She had her days where it got to her. But she remained optimistic, even up till that last week in the hospital. I remember as all the palliative people gathered around her and they asked her if she wanted to go home. She says, yes, I want to go home. And they started telling her that they could make arrangements for her to go home. She said, no, no, I'm not better yet. I want to go home, but I want to go home well. She wasn't ready to go home to die. She hadn't given up yet. Even up to the end. Was she afraid of death? No. Not afraid of it. She knew the Lord was in control. She had told me several months, maybe even a year or so before, She didn't think she would make it to the time of retirement. She knew that most preachers don't retire at 65. (laughs) Those that do wind up pastoring again. We see that all over the place. Some of my good friends went through retirement a few years ago. What are they doing today? They're pastoring. They're pastoring. I'm thankful for that optimistic spirit. I pray that same kind of optimistic spirit for each and every one of you. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're facing, do it for the glory of God. Face it with the confidence that God is ultimately in control no matter what it seems like today, no matter what's going on. Trust Him and live for Him. Look for those opportunities to share a word about Christ. Let people see and encourage and smile when they're expecting to see gloom and doom on your face. Make a difference in the world before you leave it. I think I preached this message slower than I intended to. Part of that was because I'm feeling a little weak-kneed right now. But I'm thankful that God changed my direction today. I'd ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Father, we know that there is one thing that we can be assured about and that is that we will ultimately all die. We do not know in what way, what time, and what what manner, but we know that you are in control. God, I, I just pray for myself that I will always be a witness for you. that I'll always have the right kind of attitude that will bring glory to your name. Touch each of our lives and make us soldiers for Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.